0: Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us and that you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. When Jesus heard a it- What happened? He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on fur from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed this, those sick. As evening approached, dis- disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. They give them something to eat. We have here only five little bread and two for a stand. So so bring them to me, he said, and they directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and bro- and and were satisfied. The disciples picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men besides women and children. May the Lord bless the reading of his word.
1: We're gonna talk about enough. And how do you think of the word? How do you define the word enough? For me, enough is a word of limits. You know, it defines what a limit is. Like when uh, I said this last week, I gave the example when my children were little. If they were having a tantrum, when when they reached their limit, or when really when I, as a parent, reached my limit, it was enough. You know, and I said Jesus may have said something like that to the to the storms. You know, when he calmed the seas, enough. Be still. You're at your limit. I have authority over you. Enough. Enough is a limit word. And, and I think the challenge for is it, it can be a grace-filled word. It doesn't have to be a reprimand. It can be a grace-filled word. Because I think the challenge for all of us as creatures, as people, is to figure out what enough is and to live within the limits that God gives us. The challenge we have is that we live in a society where there's ample abundance. And so all of us are tempted to go beyond the enough line and to do too much. You know, we take on too much work, too many activities on our calendar, we eat too much, we spend too much, we do too much, and when we do too much, then we have a corresponding not enough because our lives are not in balance. We, we 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 find that we don't have enough money in our bank account to pay for what we put on our credit card. We don't have enough time to do all the things that we put in our calendar. We don't have enough energy. We don't have enough rest. We don't have enough. But part of the problem, we, the reason we don't have enough is because we tried to live beyond the enough limit and we took on too much. I actually looked up the definition for enough online just to see what the online dictionary would say, and and I don't know if you can read that text, it's kind of small, it says as much or as many required, but what I really loved is they give an example underneath of how to use it in a sentence, and the sentence they give is, there's too much work and not enough people to do it. And I thought, yes, the online dictionary gets it, that's the problem, is that there's often too much, and there's often, therefore, not enough. And in today's story, we have a central problem, and the central problem is this. There is too much need. You ever feel like that? There's just too much need in the world. The needs and demands of others outpaces our time, our energy, our effort, what we have available to give. There's too much need. That's certainly, I'm sure, on some levels how Jesus felt. Because this story, you know, we celebrate the miracle of the multiplying of loaves and fishes, let me remind you when it took place in Jesus' life. Just before this, he received word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed. And not just killed, but killed in the most grotesque and monstrous fashion possible. It was at a birthday party for King Herod, and... His daughter, his wife's daughter, Herodias, uh, performed a dance for him. He was so pleased, he made a promise, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. And she said, I want John the Baptist's head. And so John the Baptist's head was served on a silver platter to the daughter, who then presented it as a gift to her mother, Herod's wife, Herodias. That's what happened. And when this news reached Jesus, he had to be heartbroken shaken. He he knew, like, he had to pause what he was doing, all of his ministry. He had to pause, and he needed to withdraw to a solitary place, because he needed space to process his grief, his emotions, to recenter himself, and to allow God to kind of recharge him for ministry. So Jesus withdrew into the wilderness, into a solitary and remote place. The problem was, the crowds didn't understand or recognize Jesus's needs. Wherever Jesus went, they followed. And so they followed him out into the wilderness. And even though Jesus was tired, even though he was heartbroken, when Jesus saw the crowds, the Bible says he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said, come on, bring me your sick. Bring me those who need healing. And as he ministered and healed and took care of the people who were brought to him, he also taught them about God, about God's ways and and about God's kingdom. Finally, it was getting pretty late and the disciples came to him and they say, hey, master, we're out in the middle of nowhere out here. This is a remote place. Please send the people back. You know, to their homes or to the nearest villages so there they can get food, you know, so they have something to eat. We're, 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 they'll be stranded out here and night will fall and they'll have no food, nowhere to go. It is good, sound advice that the disciples brought to Jesus. Except Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You feed them, which was absurd that Jesus said, you feed them because again, There were too many people. The Bible, Matthew's gospel says there were 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. Too many people. And there was nowhere near enough food. Among the disciples, all they had, five loaves of bread, two fish, barely enough to feed 12 men, much less 5,000. But the disciples had been around the block with Jesus. You know, by this point in their ministry, they'd seen him do some pretty incredible things. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him cast out evil spirits. They'd seen him raise a little girl from the dead. They'd seen him calm the storm. And so when the master said, bring me the food, bring me what you have, they did and Jesus blessed it and broke it and gave it, put it in baskets and said, go distribute to all the people. And guess what? The disciples obeyed. Even though they didn't think they had enough, sure enough, as they passed from person to person and group to group, it turned out that that little bit they had somehow more than enough. Now, this story we have to hear in conversation with stories from the Old Testament. I, I've been trying to emphasize that as we go through Gospel, you know, Matthew's gospel as a church this, this, uh, this winter, that, that you really have to listen to Matthew's gospel in the context of the Old Testament. And in, if you've been getting the daily devotions that, that go out by email, if you haven't been getting them, you can just sign up on the card. It's easy to sign up to get them. But I've been trying to point out all those connections all the way along the way. So just recap, you know the story from Sunday school of Moses leading the people out of Egypt, right? Moses came, he, you know, performed with God's uh, power 10 plagues upon the nation of Egypt. And after each plague, the Pharaoh's heart got harder and harder and harder. He wouldn't relent. He wouldn't let his people go until the final plague, the death of the firstborn son. And for a moment of brokenness, Pharaoh let Moses take the people away. And then as soon as they were gone, Pharaoh's heart hardened again. He sent his army after them. The people were trapped between the army and the Red Sea, and God parted the waters and led them through to safety. And then after that, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and Moses and you know, the leaders, they organized them into 12 tribes, according to their ancestry, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's that's the Old Testament story. In a very quick nutshell. And what I wanted you to see is how Matthew kind of makes deliberate reference to the story. It doesn't go in the same order, but he's telling the same story in a way. Instead of, you know, the, the Red Sea, it begins with Jesus' baptism, which then instead of 40 years in the wilderness is followed by 40 days. And then instead of the 12 tribes of Israel, Jesus calls the 12 disciples to be with him. And then he begins to teach the crowds in Matthew 8 and 9. Jesus performs 10 miracles which parallel the 10 plagues that Moses had in Egypt. And then after each miracle, something happens. Someone's heart gets hardened. In the Old Testament story, it's Pharaoh who ends up with a hard heart. In the New Testament story, Matthew's gospel, it's the Pharisees. Pharaoh, Pharisees, they both start with PH, so easy to remember, right? The Pharisees end up with a harder. My point is, is that Matthew is deliberately telling the same story. The story of Jesus has all these same overtones because he's trying to make a point that in Jesus, God is doing something new. God is making, recalling, reclaiming his people on earth. It's a story of salvation. Now, we've covered that part already, but today I want to kind of review some other stories from the Old Testament, some of which I think you know, some of which you may have never heard before, that I think connect to this feeding of the 5,000. I'm going to call them stories of provision. Okay. And the first two we're going to do are going to be from 2 Kings chapter 4, the ministry of the prophet Elisha. Now, the prophet Elisha in the Old Testament is this super colorful character. He does all these uh, miracles, and but he also is, is pretty rough around the edges at times. He can be very harsh, very combative. He, he, it's, he's a very interesting character. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, it's a collection of miracle stories all about prophet Elisha. And the very first one is... The never-ending olive oil, not to be confused with the never-ending pasta bowl at the Olive Garden, and, uh, which is... A little bit of a miracle in itself, right? You know, the never-ending pasta bowl. When I was in college, it was when they first came out with it, and my roommate and I, our birthdays were like his birthday was end of September, mine was first of October. They were within a week of each other, and that was always our birthday treat to go to Olive Garden and enjoy the never-ending pasta bowl. Anyways, that's a whole other side. So don't confuse it with that. It's the never-ending olive oil. So here's the story. It's a neat story. There's a woman, uh, a widow, who's very poor, and it's a time of famine. And she's worried about how she's going to feed her family. She she hardly has any food left. And so the prophet Elisha says to her, do you have any oil? And she says, I have a very little bit left. He says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather jars from all of your neighbors, as many jars as you can possibly find. And she gathers all the jars, and then Elisha says, I want you to pour the oil from your tiny jar, whatever's left, I want you to pour into all those other jars. And as he, she pours into each of those jars, somehow the olive oil never runs out. It keeps pouring, pouring, pouring until she gets to the very last jar, and when it pours into that last jar, it's finished. And then Elisha says, take all those jars of oil, sell them in the marketplace, you'll have enough to sustain yourself and your family through the famine. It's a pretty cool story, right? And to me it has clear parallels to the feeding of the 5000. For just as the olive oil never ran out, the same thing for those disciples as they took their baskets with just I'm sure, you know, a few handfuls of bread, a few handfuls of fish and somehow it never ran out. Pretty cool, right? But as close as that parallel is, you jump to the end of 2 Kings chapter 4 and you get one that's even closer. So we'll pick it up here. It says, a man came from Baal Shalashash. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but Kelly, I intentionally did not give Max that word there. Baal Shalashash. Bringing the man of God, Elisha, 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain. Remember, this is coming out of a time of famine. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said to a servant. And a servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? It's not enough food for them. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Isn't that cool? I mean, like, it's, it's the same story, almost, exactly, except the scale is totally different. In the Old Testament, it's 100 men. In the New Testament, it's 5,000 men plus women and children. In the Old Testament, it's more food, 20 loaves of bread. In the New Testament, it's just five loaves of bread and two fish In other words, the scale of Jesus' miracle far outpaces what the prophet Elisha did. It's like Matthew is saying, hey, remember that story that you grew up with? Jesus is doing something even bigger and better. But let's not stop there. Let's keep going. When you hear the word shepherd, what do you think of? For me, I always go to Psalm 23. We all know it, right? What's the first line of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a story of a psalm about provision, how the shepherd provides everything we need so that we shall not want. And what's the first thing the shepherd does? He makes me lie down in green pastures. So in this story, when Jesus sees the crowd, what does it say? They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then when he performed the miracle, what does he do? He has them sit down on the green grass. And they're in the middle of wilderness. Is there a lot of grass out in the... I can tell you, I've traveled. I've seen what the wilderness looks like. There's not a lot of green grass. It's a textual reference, a hint, that when we hear this story, we're supposed to think about the 23rd Psalm. And then, of course... There's one more parallel I think of from the Old Testament, and this one we've already talked about, because this takes us back to the story of the wilderness, because the wilderness was exactly the central problem of too much and not enough, because in the wilderness, there were lots of people, not just 5,000 perhaps as many as 500,000, wandering around in the wilderness, in the desert. And guess what? There was not enough food for that many people. So let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, for there we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. We had more than enough But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. That's what the people are crying out. We don't have enough. We're dying out here. Now, if you remember the story from Sunday school, you know the problem was not, you know, that there wasn't enough food. The problem was that the Israelites didn't have enough faith. They had lived through the 10 plagues. They had experience passing through, walking through the Red Sea on dry ground? How could they still doubt God's power, God's care, God's provision, God's intention to save? And yet they did. Like the disciples, the Israelites were focused on the size of the problem, not the size of their God. And so God responded to them. We'll pick it up again. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. So tell them, at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And that evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? In Hebrew manna. What is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Point is, is, is you know, this is part of Israel's story that God provides what they need. And 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 this is what I want you to see. The feeding of the 5,000 makes deliberate reference back to the story. For the starting point, where does Jesus' miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, take place? In the wilderness, in the desert, in a remote place. And not only that, Matthew's gospel doesn't record this, but Mark and Luke do. When Jesus has them sit down, he has them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. And guess what? In the Old Testament, in the wilderness, how did Moses organize the people? In groups of 50 and 100. There are all these deliberate references that are being made, connections, because Matthew is tying these stories together. But there's a clear contrast that we need to keep in mind. In the Old Testament story, in, in the story of manna in the wilderness, God gave them enough. Each day, the people were supposed to go out, and they could gather what they needed, that, you know, for their household, for that day, but what happened if the people took too much? Do you guys remember it spoiled the manna did not last it spoiled worms, maggots would appear in it. So that, so that he, God was teaching the people to trust in me each and every day. I am enough for you. And, and that's good. God was teaching them, I'm enough. But this is the contrast. In the Old Testament story, God provided enough. In the New Testament story, Jesus doesn't just provide enough. He provides more than enough. When his miracle is over, The disciples gather 12 basketfuls of food. They end up with more than they started with. God isn't just doing enough. Jesus is providing more than enough. I think Matthew is making this point that Jesus performed a greater miracle, greater in scale than the prophet Elisha, that Jesus performed and produced a greater blessing, greater abundance than Moses in the wilderness. Something bigger is happening here. And that's pretty cool and amazing, but there's one more story that I think this story connects to. And this is the best story of all, except it's not in the Old Testament. In fact, it's a story that hasn't yet occurred in Matthew's gospel. It's a story that we'll read about in the 26th chapter when Jesus gathers with his disciples in an upper room. And I am deeply indebted to New Interpreter's Bible commentary, Eugene Boring, for pointing this out. But the the textual repeats are just, I mean, they just jump off the page. And I'll just point them out. This is the story on this side of the loaves and fishes. And here's the story of the upper room, the bread and the cup. They began the same way. When it was evening, when it was evening, the people sat down, Jesus took his place. Now, these are two different words in English, but in Greek, exact same verb, exact same verb. And then Jesus taking the loaves, And Jesus took a loaf of bread and blessed it. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, and all the people ate and Jesus said, eat. for this is my body, which is broken for you. And all the people were satisfied. Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. You can't read those two stories together, side by side, without seeing that they are linked together. My point is this, that the feeding of the 5,000 doesn't just recall all the stories of God's provision in the Old Testament. It does do that. But it also points forward. It foretells the central story in Matthew's Gospel, in all the Gospels, in all the New Testament, the story of the self-giving of God's own Son. And just as a handful, a small offering of loaves and fishes was enough, more than enough to feed the 5,000, so the singular offering of God's own Son upon a cross isn't just enough. It's more than enough. For all the brokenness, all the sin of the world, God's grace and mercy, it has no end. It's more than enough. John's gospel makes this super explicit. In John's gospel, when Jesus goes out and performs the same miracle, feeding of the 5,000, after he leaves some some Pharisees, some leaders of the Jewish community, follow after him, and they demand more signs, which is pretty bold, right? Like you just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, but they're like, "Hey, hey, do it again, do it again, do it again." And they asked, and they said, "What sign then will you give us so that we may see it and believe? For what will you do, Jesus, for our ancestors, ate the manna in the wilderness?" He's tying those stories together. Our ancestors ate the manna, and as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, this bread, both the bread that Moses gave and the bread that you just ate with me in the wilderness, it's just bread. It'll be consumed, and you'll hunger again. But the bread that comes from heaven will bring eternal life. And then the people say, Master, give us this bread always. Always. And so Jesus says to them, okay, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Jesus said, I am more than enough. So here's my question to you. Do you know the bread of life? Are you satisfied with his grace? Do you know that God's mercy and love is not just all you ever need, it's more than you could ever need? I know it, but I forget it. I still worry about having enough. I still worry about being enough. Sometimes I keep finding myself trying to earn an acceptance and grace that's already been given to me. Like like I, I get so focused on trying to be approved by God when he's already offered his son on our behalf. Do you know it? Do you trust it? It's like that hymn we sang at the beginning of the service. One of my favorite hymns. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. No matter how many times we've heard it, we need to hear it again. That God's grace, God's mercy is more than enough. His grace is more than enough for every mistake we make. His provision is more than enough for every challenge we face. His love is bigger than we could ever imagine. So after the disciples pass out the food, they end up with 12 baskets left over, filled to the brim with leftovers. And to me, I, I, that, that symbolism of the basket is so beautiful and important to me because there's one basket for every disciple, right? And you think about all the, you know, all the miracles that Jesus did, you know, the healing, the calming of the storm, the race. in most cases, the disciples were witnesses they were observers, but that's, you know, they, Jesus was doing the work. In this particular miracle, the disciples got to participate. Jesus broke the bread and then he gave it to them and said, you take, distribute to all the people. So the disciples got to witness, not just to witness, to be part of the wonder of as they passed the baskets from person to person to person and discovering that the food never ran and I think that's part of what discipleship is about. We are called to be participants in Jesus's ongoing work of meeting the needs of others. There's a book called *Manna and Mercy*. I encountered it when I was in seminary, but it's not a seminary text of all, at all. It's written by a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, called Daniel Erlander, and it's and it's really more kind of like cartoonish or, or written kind of in an animated style, though it has deep thought to it, but it kind of looks like this. This is his picture of what the wilderness is like. He said, it's the, he called it the wilderness school when the people of Israel went into the wilderness because God had lessons to teach them. And, and his little, you know, illustrations all along the way, I like the little comments. There's always these like two little gophers in the corner. The one says, they have to be taught how to live. And the other says, they're only human. Anyways, uh, he says, the wilderness school. Back to the story of manna. He says, God used the manna, God used the wilderness in order to teach people certain lessons. And one of the lessons that he listed, I've always loved this, he says he defined work. He said, God wanted to teach people that work is the dignified activity of helping God to meet the needs of all. Work is the dignified activity of helping God meet the needs of all. Whatever your work may be, it's the dignified activity of helping God meet the needs of others. Not just yourself, but others. And I think this is the work of discipleship. What we are invited with the disciples to participate in. That we are invited into the dignified activity of helping God meet the needs of others. In other words, we don't just get to receive the grace. We get to be participants in the miracle of it. That as we pass, God's grace God's mercy, God's love from person to person to person, we discover to our delight and joy that it never, ever runs out. It'll always be more than enough. Praise be to God. Amen. Amen. So we're going to close today with just taking a moment to recognize some of the leaders of our church those who are responsible within this congregation of helping to distribute God's grace and love to others. And so I want to just take a moment and, and name some groups. I know we had two services, so some of the leaders for these groups were present at the last service, but not this one. But I just want to give invitations. So um, if you serve on the administrative council, which is kind of the overarching leadership of our church. Uh, administrative council, You serve on the trustees. Trustees responsible for the building, the maintenance of our building, care of our facility. Don't, aren't you, on? Yeah. yeah, come on, Amy, come on. If you're on Staff Parish, which is kind of our, you know, our human relations committee, if you're on finance, managing our, our funds uh, as a church, nominations, which is responsible for appointing people to those groups, um, if you are on the missions committee, and this is yeah, some of these committees like we have new people who are joining. I see uh, Stephanie come. Over. So if you're new to these committees, just come on up. If you're on the missions committee, if you serve in men's or women's ministry leadership, if you're in Stephen ministry leadership, if you uh, lead a small group. If you lead uh, senior adults, uh, we have a wonderful, vibrant uh, senior adult ministry if you're on the leadership team for that. If you serve our youth, our young adults, uh, we have lay leader coming up. Uh, If you serve as part of our annual conference representative, any children's ministry representatives, uh, I don't know if our children's ministry folks are, and any other ministry. If you are a leader in the church, uh, you know, I I may not have named you. There's Green Ministry. There's Pew 57 uh, uh, who provide medical care on Sunday morning. So if you're a leader in the church, I invite you to come forward. Okay. Who are you calling? You're waving at somebody. Ike, come on up here, Ike. Uh, Ike, yeah, Ike, what are you doing? Come on up here. He co-captains our Team World Vision. He serves as like part of Pew 57. Come on up here. So anyways. As you came up, uh, leaders, you were given a... Do you have one? Oh, you do? Okay. I was like, I thought you didn't have uh You were given a small basket. You can hold it up for people to see what they look like. And I think we have left over. So if you want a basket at the end of the service, come on up and grab some. Um, it's, it's small. You can put like a succulent in there. You know, it could be a paperweight on your desk. It's not going to do much. But we wanted to be small for a reason. Because I wanted to remind you, A, that you're called to service that you're called to distribute God's grace among us as a people. And I wanted it to be small because I wanted to remind you that you're not enough. None of us is enough. We don't bring much. What we do is we participate in the miracle of God's blessing and multiplying. That somehow in God's grace, the little we bring turns out to be more than enough. And so I hope you will keep this basket somewhere you can remember it, both for the sake of the call, but also to remember the the ministry and the grace that you are called to. And so there's a liturgy that I want to lead you in uh, to commit yourself to leadership in our church in the coming year. So I don't have my, uh, so you're gonna have to lead me by the slides. I don't know where my piece of paper is. Oh, here it is. Yeah, thanks. So dear friends, you've been called by God and chosen by the people of God for leadership in our church. This ministry is a blessing and a serious responsibility It recognizes your special gifts and calls you to work among us and for us. In love, we thank you for accepting your obligation and challenge you to offer your best to the Lord, to these people, and to our ministry in the world. Live a life in Christ and make him known in your witness and your work. So on behalf of the church, I ask you these questions. First, do you this day acknowledge yourself, a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ? If so, say we do. Will you devote yourself to the service of God in the world? If so, say we will. Will you so live that you enable this church to be a people of love and peace? If so, say we will. And will you do all in your power to be responsible for the task for which you have been chosen? If so, say we will. And congregation, dear friends, we rejoice that God provides laborers for the vineyard and ask, will you do all you can to assist and encourage them in the responsibilities to which they've been called, giving them your cooperation, your counsel, and your prayers. If so, say we will. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your blessings upon these, your servants, who've been given particular ministries in your church. Grant them grace to give themselves wholeheartedly in your service. Keep before them the example of our Lord, who did not think first of himself, but gave himself for us all, Let them share his ministry and consecration that they may enter into his joy. Guide them in their work, reward their faithfulness with the knowledge that through them, your purposes are being accomplished through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.